So, Lord, we do stand upon the reality of who you are, upon your death, particularly your resurrection. My whole faith, everything is built upon that one reality. And so we thank you for your love, for all that you are. And we pray in the name of the risen one, Jesus. Amen. Morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day. How's it going? I see some, looks like some extra family in the house. I see Seth right there, the grand champion of Starbucks chess, I think. I saw him playing yesterday, and a big Broncos fan, right? So, but um, if you're here visiting, we're glad to have you this morning and want to welcome you to, to 12th Avenue for Father's Day. A couple of family items, if you may. Um, before we get going. Again, just want to thank everybody involved with VBS. It was uh, just exciting to be around here to see the energy and appreciate all the volunteers, particularly, I mean, if I just start naming people, but I know that core team, Ashley, Casey, Laura, um, Tracy, and Julie. Julie's in the house, right? Where's Julie? Julie's like been doing this thing 10 years running, pregnant, not pregnant, toddlers at her feet, whatever. So, just want to thank those guys. And also, we're going to have somebody new at the front desk starting tomorrow. Um, Lori had resigned, or whatever the word is, a while back, about a month, month and a half ago. Thank you so much, Lori, for you've been great to work with. So thank you for that. Laura, who probably will be here next service, done, has been filling in for the last month, month and a half, has done a great job, Laura Dunn, and, and then Melissa Turney is going to be starting with us. She came to 12th last, uh, last September, not last September, last summer, and we're just excited to have um, her involved. So, it is Father's Day. It's uh, a special day. Um, just talking to Eldon, Eldon's birthday is like the week before Father's Day, so it's kind of, when you're having your birthday that close to a holiday, it's a little bit of a, holiday is not quite such a big deal, right? But it's a big day, and I know some of you are here because visiting your father. Um, so can I, I want to do a couple things. Um, yeah, Father's Day is an exciting day, but also we have to acknowledge anytime we're dealing with days like this, Father's Day also can, some, for some people, can be a, a time of a painful period for lots of reasons, Right? Um, we live in a broken world, and our fatherhood is broken. Even those of us who try to live and follow Christ, none of us do it perfectly. Some of us come from homes with very broken fathers or with no father at all, and even it can be a painful day for dads. Um, uh, a lot of times fatherhood, as the kids get older, get out of home, can be filled with regrets or um, a sense of failure, whatever, but we don't, none of us want to be living there. Just, we trust God with all that we've done. But we do want to pray this morning. So I'd like to have all the dads stand, if you would. I'd like to have everybody here who is a dad, if you could stand. And in a minute, partway through my prayer, I am going to ask everybody here, all the men, all the young men, all the boys to stand, because I want to pray for all of them. But if you're a dad, stand. Maybe if somebody around you can put a, put a hand on, on them or something as we pray. Um, so can we just take a minute to pray? So Father, uh, we ask you today to bless our earthly fathers for the many times they've reflected the love, the strength, generosity, the wisdom, the mercy that you exemplify in your relationship with, with us, our, your children. We honor our fathers for putting our needs above their own, convenience and comfort, for teaching us to show courage and determination in the face of adversity, for challenging us to move beyond self-limiting boundaries, for modeling the qualities that would turn us into responsible, principled, caring adults. We pray that you would give new and future fathers that are here today the guidance they need to raise happy and holy children who are grounded in love for God and other people, and the same for those fathers that are here who are still raising children. Lord, we do acknowledge that not all our fathers lived up to these ideals. Um, we pray that you would give them grace, all of us, to acknowledge and learn from our mistakes. Um, give us all grace to extend to our fathers the same forgiveness you offer us, if that's needed. 
Um, help us to resist the urge to stay stuck in past bitterness, instead moving forward with humility and a peace of heart. We do ask your blessing on those, all those men who served as father figures in our lives when our biological fig- fathers weren't able to do so for distance or other reasons. So may the love and selflessness, selflessness that they showed us be returned to them in all their relationships. Help them to know that their influence has changed us for the better. God, we do acknowledge again that for many this day, um, it's full of joy and celebration, but for some it is a painful day. So pour out your healing, your consolation, your peace on those who are grieving the loss of their father or the loss of a child, on families separated by distance or disagreement, on families plagued by disappointment, abandonment, addiction, or abuse. Now I'd like all men and all boys to stand, please. Pray for all of you. So gracious God, thank you for every man and every boy that's here today, for everyone we have brought with us in our hearts. Reveal your purpose and plan for their life. Bless them and protect them. Deepen their love and trust of you. Strengthen them, empower them, and anoint them with your Holy Spirit, that their faith, influence, and achievement would bring you honor and glory. Receive our thanks and praise again for all of these men today and all of these men that are in the making, for they are precious to us and they are precious to you. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Just a word, um, because if you do much reading, just in anything, anything related to counseling, that our culture, there are a lot of father wounds in our culture. And if you have a father wound, what I want to do is point you to, to God, because He is the great Father. Um, he is the original Father. He is the one who loves us with an everlasting love, we're told, and whose love is perfect. And so... If there is that father wound in your soul, I want to point you to the, the only one, even if you've got a good dad, the only one who can totally 100% father you well. Um, and I love Psalm 68.5, which says that he is the father to the fatherless. So if anybody's here today that has that sense, I just want to point you to him. For the dads here, and I guess for the moms, I have in the bulletin something I decided to put in today. This is something I created a long time ago to help me to pray for my children. Um, It is a calendar that takes you through the 31 days of the month, and kind of what I picked out is to me were the the 31 most important virtues, the things I wanted to see in my children's lives, and then some other stuff. Uh, I'm just not a wordy guy at all, but there's a lot on there. But it's things on those days that I pray for my children. For our children. And then on the back are some scripture that I also use on the days of the month to pray things for our children. Um, so that's something I just offer to you that if you want to keep that in your Bible and use that every day to pray for your children. At the bottom also are, are four questions I added to this several years ago that I try to sit down and ask my children about twice, three times a year, generally kind of each semester, summer, haven't done the summer yet, but just some questions I ask to get a sense of where they are, what, what they're doing well in, and what are they struggling with so I can know how to pray for them better and how to help them. So I just want to offer that to you guys today. Okay, so we have started a series through the book of Proverbs. And we want to jump into that. I decided today to pick a proverb that relates to parenting. Um, And just with this whole thing of uh, parenting, I want to remind you, because I did a little something related to parenting Mother's Day, that the things I'm going to talk about apply to any relationship of influence. They don't just relate to being a parent. Um, Any relationship of influence, this applies. Any form of leadership, this applies. So... Sure, I want the dads and the mothers to hear this, those who might be dads and mothers in the future, grandparents, I think it's important to hear this, but this applies to anybody. So, um, what I want to start with, if you don't mind, is, you know, we're doing this Proverbs, and if you remember from last week, Proverbs is really about the fine art of living well. It's about living wisely, 
And wisdom in the Bible is, is living skillfully. It's living well. Uh, this week I thought I would look up some Proverbs from around the world. Our family plays a game, uh, and I forget the name of the game, that has Proverbs from all over the world, and it'll leave out a word. And it, Anyways, it's pretty fun. And there's some really interesting Proverbs around the world. I just collected a few that I wanted to show you. So here's something from Egypt. Throw a fortunate man in the Nile, and he will come up with fish in his mouth. That's... Or how about this from Portugal? A house without a dog is a house of a scoundrel. Oh, I wonder what that says about us who have cats at home. Um, since my ancestor from Scotland, I thought I'd dig up a few old Scottish proverbs. Better be the lucky man than the lucky man's son. <laughs> I like this. Never draw your dagger when a blow will do it. That's a good proverb. Hang a thief when he's young and he'll not steal when he's old. Kind of a rough culture, those, those clannish Scots. Uh, okay, how about this? The camel driver, this is from Morocco, the camel driver has his plans. The camel has his. <laughs> Anybody in leadership appreciates that proverb. And then uh, my favorite is from China. Don't use a hatchet to remove a fly from your friend's forehead. <laughs> Pretty good wisdom, wouldn't you say? Um, and, you know, as we go into these Proverbs, we put this in again. If you weren't here last week, this is a summary of what I talked about in introduction to explain how do you read them and what are they about. It's in your bulletin. I encourage you to take it. There is a diagram as you're reading through Proverbs, and we do have the Proverbs Bible reading plans. I'm pretty sure back there we'll make sure they are. If you want to grab one on the way out to read through Proverbs in the summer, um, Somebody was like, hey, that's a cool diagram, but I'm probably going to stick it in a pile and get lost. I said, what? you know, stick it in your Bible, perhaps, and then when you read, you can follow along. And it, This kind of thing always helps me to know where I'm at and what's going on. But just a quick, quick, quick thing. Proverbs are short. They're striking. They really catch your attention, like the hatchet and the forehead thing, right? Catches your attention. They're very simple. Um, they're very straightforward. You don't have to usually sit around and try to interpret what it means. And if you try to dig in too much to the words, you could lose the meaning because a lot of times they're put together because they just rhyme or there's words that start with similar letters. They're suggestive. Rather than telling you to do something, they suggest a way to live. And they're always self-contained. And that's what the book of Proverbs is like. Uh, hundreds of just individual self-contained Proverbs on virtually every topic related to life. And as I said last week, Proverbs are um, general observations of life. There's always exceptions, right? They're not guarantees. And so this morning, I'm actually going to do a proverb that is an exception to what I just showed you. Because one thing about Proverbs is, is you don't have to think a lot about them. And if you try to get in them and parse the words and ask, why is that word there, you, you'll lose the meaning. Um, because they are very straightforward. But there is a few Proverbs in the book, not many, but there's a few that when looking at the Hebrew behind it, the meaning is, it's kind of intriguing. And I'm going to take a Proverb today that I'm going to, what I'm going to do with this Proverb, you don't do with most of the Proverbs, okay? But this is one that needs to be, um, that needs to be, not played with, but it's a really famous one. It's probably one of the most famous Proverbs in the world. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's from the King James Version. That's the way a lot of people still say it. Wycliffe, who did the first English translation. Do you want to hear this? I don't even know what it means. Well, it is a proverb. A young waxing man after his way, and when he hath waxed eld, he shall not go away from it. That's kind of interesting. It's like, a, what's the movie? I always think of movies. Karate Kid. You know the waxing. Wax on, wax off. Okay, anyways. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I digress. All right, here's the traditional understanding of this proverb. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart. Uh, I could paraphrase it this way. Uh, be sure to have daily devotions with your family. Make sure your child's in church and in Sunday school each and every Sunday. Get them in Awana and VBS. When they're older, make sure they attend youth group and Christian school if possible. By all means, each summer send them to Christian camps. We all know they will eventually take a walk on the wild side. They'll turn away from your training. They'll sow their wild oats. It's inevitable. But don't give up hope. When they get old enough to get over that phase of life, they will come back to God. 
that's really how I think a lot of us take this. And I want to uh, uh, do something with this proverb today that I think actually um, there is a second and I think a more preferable way to understand this proverb. And I have to thank Charles Swindoll who first introduced me to this concept more than 30 years ago. I wasn't even married. I wasn't even dating at that time. But I first heard this and then was so intrigued since I've looked into it and find I, I agree with him. So what I want to do is I want to tell you a little bit about the Hebrew text of this because it's really, um, it's, it's very enlightening and significant. And what I want to do is I want to start with this word here, with this word a child. Because when we see that, we tend to think of a, a young elementary age child. That's what we tend to think. If I showed you in Hebrew, it is used of an infant, of a weaned child, of a young child, of a lad, of a preteen, Ishmael, of an adolescent, Joseph, when he was 17, and of a young man of marriageable age in Genesis 34. So it's used of actually a pretty wide range. Um, so it really is kind of 1 to 20-ish is what it's referring to. And it's really the period, I'm going to lay this down here. It's really the period that your child is under your roof. That's what it's referring to. So this would refer to a teenager. If you've got a freshman in college still living at home under your influence, it even would apply to them. This train in Hebrew is so interesting. This is the only time this word occurs in the Old Testament. And it's um, a little confusing. I mean, they're not confusing, but let me just tell you some things that this word means. It, it has the meaning, I hope you can read my writing, to draw out, that's a D, draw out, as in draw out desire. Um, it was used of whenever a ba an infant was born, of taking, the midwife would take plum paste and would rub it on the, the roof of a child's mouth to get it to start sucking, and then it would begin nursing. So it, this verb was used of that thing, of to get, to get the, that child doing that. It's kind of the, of the idea of... Um, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Um, sorry, it's kind of lost me. To stimulate. It's trying to stimulate, desire, or stimulate something in a person. But it was also used of another thing. It was also used to direct. Um, it was used of the idea of, of having a bridle or a rope in a, in a horse's mouth to direct it. So you see the word, that, that idea of mouth is in both of them both of those, the, the rubbing of the upper roof of the mouth, the putting of a, of a rope in a horse's mouth. It's the idea of kind of training. So we see this idea of, of drawing out, of, of drawing out in somebody, stimulating to train them, like, like as in a rope. And in a second, I think this is all going to make sense, why um, this is all going on in this Hebrew. So up here, in the way that he should go, literally in Hebrew is, I want to get this right, um, being in accordance, wait, that is actually, I'm sorry, the sheet that I had that was my cheat notes on what this looked like, I forgot to bring it over here. It means literally in the mouth, this is what it literally says, in the mouth of his way. That's literally what it says in, in the Hebrew, in the mouth of his way. And this phrase, in the mouth of his, that phrase means um, in accordance with or to, to be in accordance with or to be to. Um, it's to to um, Derek Kidner says, like, according to the child's, it's more the idea of according to the child's way. According to the child's individuality is really what it's talking about. And then this word way is so interesting. Um, it 
it is used in the Bible a lot of like what we think of as the moral way, the way that you should go, kind of that way, pointing somebody. But it's also used really differently than that. It's also used in the sense of um, a manner, the characteristics or the traits of something, its manner, so characteristics or traits. It is really, my writing was a lot nicer last night at home. <laughs> Sorry. I want to show this to you, and uh, this word way is used in Proverbs 6, 6, where it says, go to the ant, you sluggard, you lazy person, consider its ways and be wise. Or Proverbs 30, there are three things that are too amazing for me, for that I do not understand the way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a snake on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, the way of a man with a maiden. So do you see how it's talking about this, the characteristic of something? Not so much a moral path, but it's just the way that it is, the way that it's designed is the idea that's behind it. Interestingly, then, this word is also used in Proverbs 7, 2 in a fascinating way. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword and he will bend and string his bow. That word bow, bend is the same word. It, again, it's the bent of something. So if you think of that, it's like we, talk, we even use this phrase, something has a characteristic or something has a bent to it. Um, let me get back to that. So that, it not only can mean a manner, it can also mean a bent. And again, it's the idea of like tendencies. Tendencies. So a bent. And so really what, let me, well then let me do down here. And when he is old, what about that word? Fascinating word in Hebrew. It means uh, old. <laughs> gotcha. It means old. Here, let me, let me draw you a picture of what that looks like. Okay. Look familiar? Okay. Sorry. It's Father's Day, so I get to have a little bit of fun today. Um, so, here is... What's, what's behind this idea that you can see it? It's more the idea that, if, that to draw out, to stimulate in your child, to, to direct them through drawing out what's in accordance with how they're designed and created, what is in their manner, their characteristic, their bent. Does that make sense? Um, let me, I'm going to summarize it here in just a second. Let me show you, because there's actually a number of translations in English that try to get at this. The Lexham, train the child concerning his way, literally on the way of his mouth. The NASB says, train up a child in the way he should go, and has this note, literally according to his way. The Douay rhymes, it is a proverb, a young, man, a young man according to his way. That's a really old translation, and I've left off the second half. Darby, train up the child according to the tenor of his way. The Geneva, teach a child in the trade of his way. The Amplified Bible, both old and new, really get at this. Train up a child in the way he should go, and in keeping with his individual gift or bent. Or train up a child in the way he should go, teaching him to seek God's wisdom and will for his abilities and talents. The ERV, teach children in a way that fits their needs. And the Passion Bible that came out a few years ago, dedicate your children to God and point them in the way that they should go. Or train them in the direction they are best suited to go. Some Jewish scholars teach this means understanding your children's talents and then seeing that they go into that field. And the values that you've, they've learned from you will be with them for the rest of your life. Here really is what this proverb is saying, that in every child, God has placed, that every child that's in our care, He has placed a bent in them, a set of characteristics that's already established within that child. It's been hardwired into them from the beginning, not in a, like a deterministic kind of way, not like that, because we can fail to bring their bent out of them. Um, each child is unique and distinct and is designed by God that way. And I think we all know this. How many times have you heard a parent say, like, I've got two children and they couldn't be more different from each other, right? I remember when Pat was pregnant with Carissa and Ariel, there was a big difference in the way they acted in her womb. We could just tell a personality difference, even back then. Um, so, parents who are wise will correctly discover the bent of their child, and they'll wisely adapt their individual training for each child accordingly. And unwise parents will parent all their children exactly the same, try to fit them in the same mold, parent them the same way. That's really what this proverb is talking about. This would be, I think, my big paraphrase of this 
proverb. Adapt the training of your child so that it is in keeping with their individual God-given personality and characteristics and their tendencies. Encourage them to pursue the things they are most gifted at, interested in, and then they will really excel at those things later in life. If you do that, they will not turn aside from that bent, but will live into it. And when they come to maturity, they will not depart from the training they've received. They will live into their God-given design, and it will become a pattern of their life. That's really what this proverb is talking about, is rubbing the palate, getting that stimulating them according to their bent, according to their individuality, in the, the manner that they've been created, their mannerism. And so, with that in mind, I want to talk about this idea of bent, your children's bents, that all children have bents in two directions, tendencies in both directions. There is the strengths, the tendencies towards good. Psalm 139, 13 to 14 says, you made my whole being, you formed me in my mother's body. I praise you because you made me in an amazing and wonderful way what you've done is wonderful. I, I, I wish I could dive into the Hebrew behind this, but it talks about literally weaving. It's a language of weaving a tapestry, each tapestry being unique, like the ladies who do the, the quilts back there. Each one, every time, it's un, a unique thing that they've designed. So that God, the creator of the universe, has uniquely crafted each child with certain attributes, abilities, personalities, physical appearance. The, their characteristics and traits, He's woven into the fabric of their being. When they were even in the womb, um, if I come back to this, their temperament, their personality, their skills, their abilities, their passions or interests are things that He built into them from the beginning. And all of this is so they will find their calling and their place in the work of extending God's kingdom, which all you all know is restoring all things to Him, one person, one place at a time. He's designed all of us to, to make an impact for that purpose, and he's, he's just crafted us in this way. Um, uniquely in this way. And I mean, we know that some kids are passive, some are more active, some are more quiet, some are outgoing. I could just go down a list. Some are more artistic, some are more active, some are homebodies, some are wanderers. I, we all know that. In Genesis, we're told that Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents, but his brother Esau was a skillful hunter who loved to be outside. And what we're to do is we're to work with that bent with those strengths, the thing that God has built into our child, to direct them to live a life in accordance with those things, with their temperament, their personality, the gifts and abilities He's given them, the passions and interests that we're to discover. I'll talk about in a minute, discover those things, and move them towards that. That's really what this proverb is talking about. But we also know that there's the shadow side of all of our children, right? Not just a, we know that of ourselves, but we know that of our children. Those bents and tendencies towards the dark side. These are the characteristics, the bents in them, that if those things aren't corrected, they will work against their flourishing and their well-being and the flourishing of everybody around them. They'll cause heartache and broken relationships. So we not only work with the bent, these bents, but there's bents that we need to be working kind of against, so to speak. And I, the first one I have in our shadows is shadows of strength. Because in a temperament or personality, we all, there's strengths over here and because we live in a broken world, our strengths always have a shadow. So the person who's decisive and direct as a gift can also be overbearing and controlling, right? The person who's youthful and enthusiastic, the shadow side frequently, they're impulsive and aimless. Uh, the person that's really easygoing and social as a gift, a lot of times the shadow of that is they're passive and overly sensitive. People who are analytical and organized as a gift, the shadow of that frequently is they're overly critical that they appear aloof. So, there's shadows to all the strengths. But not just that, there's the sin nature. There's the sin nature that we all deal with. This uh, bent towards wrong and towards sin. Psalm 51.5 says that I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. Genesis 65, 6.5 says that the inclination of the human heart is toward, toward evil, it's toward the dark side. And if you think that sounds mean of your child, like, no, surely not my child. You just think of the reality of your life. You make a resolution to stop eating so much sugar in January. What's the inclination of your heart? Is it easier to keep the resolution or is it easier to break it? It's easier to break it. Our bent, our tendency is towards the way that we don't want to go. That Genesis 6-5 is totally correct. 
And Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? That's why the Bible teaches as humans, I am not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I'm a sinner, because I have the sin nature that all of us have inherited from Adam that's been passed down from parent to parent. It's just the way that we are. That's why Psalm 2015 says that folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Man, I should have used red for that. Folly is bound up in the heart of the child. That's what it's referring to as this sin nature. To discipline a child produces wisdom. If you leave a child, if they are just left to themselves, they will disgrace you because of that sin nature. If you just leave them to their own, that sin nature will dominate their life. So, uh, we all have to face the fact that our children are marred and they're fallen because of sin and we are all in need of rescue. The Bible says from spiritual death to spiritual life. So, wise is the parent who knows this about our sin nature and their children's sin nature and who is at work to, to help to counteract that. But not only that, each child has what we call, I call signature sins. Hebrews 12.1 says we all have sins that um, easily entangle us. There's one or two things we all struggle with individually, and our children have that. There are things our children struggle with, and the more we know them, the more we can see those one or two things in their life. And so that's part of the shadow side of their bent, are the, their signature sins. There are learned sins. There are the things they just learn simply by being around me, by being around mom and dad, right? Uh, my mother was a world-class warrior. Worrier, not warrior. Worrier. And I tell you what, it was not hard to learn worrying at the feet of my mother. Um, and I mean, that's true with all of us, right? We have sins that we struggle with, and it's so easy for our children to catch those from us. Because remember, we reproduce who we are, and the apple never falls far from the tree. And then finally, there's the Bible talks about generational sins. Um, boy, there is a, so lot to say about this, but the Bible does teach that there are sins that, and I don't totally understand this, but that there are evil bents, there are sins, there are characteristics and traits that are inherited from, I inherited from my parents and from, that went back to my grandparents, that went back to my great-grandparents. The Bible talks about to four generations, that you can trace sinful patterns back generationally. Um, we see it in the Bible in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Jacob's sons, that this generational sin of lying was a trait that all of them possessed. Uh, as Peter Sario says, and I spelled his name wrong, Jesus may live in your heart, but Grandpa lives in your bones, okay? There are generational sins that have not just come from me, but have come from my, parent, my father and then from my grandfather, things that could be passed on down to our kids. And, um, boy, let us not think that those things, that that's not a reality. And, um, Man, for a lot of us, those things probably were not known by our parents. My parents had no concept of this and so didn't seek to curb that to understand it. But if we refuse to deal with those sins that are patterns that have been passed down through generations, we will do our children a, a di big disservice. I really encourage all of you to do what's called a genogram where you sit down and I went back four generations and from talking to my parents and other aunts and uncles, got a lot of information about my parents, my grandparents, their parents, and took this to, you know, Corey, and I talked this through, and I found through this some patterns on my father's side, some patterns on my mother's side that went back generation. And the reason you do that is because you don't want to be a generational sin booster, that you just keep boosting the sins that have repeated in generations, but you want to be the one person that's like, with those generational sins, I'm the buster. It's going to stop here to the best of my ability with God's help. Those patterns that I see that have been passed on for generations, I'm going to stop that pattern with my family. And again, none of us is perfect, but that's just, um, those are the things. So we've got, the, we've got that, the strengths, the good side of our children, personality, gifts and abilities, their interests and passions, but they've got that shadow side that we need to work on. The shadows of their gifts, um, that sin nature that we all have, 
those signature sins they really struggle with as an individual, the things they learn by watching me, and then generational sins that have been passed down. So here's how, uh, here's kind of an, uh, a summary again, a summary of this, this proverb. Adapt the training of your child so that it's in keeping with their individual God-given personality and characteristics and tendencies. Encourage them to pursue the things they are most gifted at and interested in. Then they will really excel at that, excel at those things later in life. If you do that, they will not turn aside from that bent, but will live into it. And when they come to maturity, they will not depart from the training they have received. They will live into their God-given design, and it will become a pattern of their life. That's really what this proverb is about. So, um, I want to tell you that this understanding of this proverb, this I told Ariel last night, I was a baby Christian when I first came on this concept. This was the first parenting concept I learned from the Bible. I wasn't even dating at that time. But this thing so stuck in my head that what this proverb is about is identifying the bent and the tendency and the things God's built into your children. And then, um, like, you know, the, the plum stuff, that you're trying to get them to, for that to come out. You want, you want to work so that that comes out of them and they live in the, th- the way God has designed them to live, live into it, their gifts and personality, all of that. And then if you do that, they will live into it. That has guided me so much. That has been always in the back burner of my, my parenting. Never perfect, but it's always been in the back burner for me. And I'm so thankful for that proverb and the lesson from it. Um, so let me get a little practical for a minute. Is that okay? So a few things not to do in light of this. Here's, here's what this tells me not to do in my parenting. With their strengths, um, we've got to parent them differently, right? Um, needless to say, don't use an identical approach with all your kids because they're all wired differently. Their temperament's different. There's just so many differences. So don't parent them all the same. It kind of goes without explaining, right? Number two, don't compare. Never compare siblings to each other. They're all uniquely designed by God. They're not the same. Don't compare them to friends. Or as I learned later in my parenting, don't compare them to yourself. Like when I was a kid, okay, don't do that either, all right? Because they're all bent differently. And third, don't squeeze them into your predetermined parenting mold. I think we've all heard of children, of parents who refuse to take their children as they are and try to fit them into their interests, their personality, their abilities, right? Oh, hey, I'm good at carpentry. My son's got to be good at carpentry. And if he's not, I'm going to make him good at carpentry, you know? I'm going to make him drive nails until he gets good at driving nails or whatever. So don't squeeze them into your predetermined mold of who you are. And don't live your life through them. I think that's another one. We've all seen or heard of parents. I think Gary sees them all the time out in the... Or I, Gary, I'm sure you've seen him with Ball and all of that. Um, parents who are trying to silence frustrations from their own past through their children. Trying to live their dreams or unrealized things through their own kids. Because your child is different, and they're not you. And so don't try to live a life you wish you would live kind of through them. Accept them as they are. Encourage them as they are. Um, so with their shadows, a couple of don'ts. Um, a couple of cautions. You know, you will see kids, your ways are really like you. Your failings, your bents, and that's scary, Right? Sometimes you'll see bents in their dark side that are the total opposite of you. And you're like, well, man, I'm a hard worker and that kid's a lazy, know-nothing, you know, right? So you'll see things in them so like you, it's scary. You'll see things the total opposite of you. And I think what happens as a parent is because you feel like there's so much at stake that the response to both of those things is you feel like a little bit, I've got to eradicate those things at them from at all cost, whatever it takes, no holds barred. And, you know, our primary motivation is to see them flourish, but a lot of times we go at the shadow side so hard that it overshadows. We don't ever deal with them to help them grow into what they're gifted to be, and we can come down hard on them. So I just want to encourage you, deal with the shadow side. You want to work towards that, work on it, but don't push too hard. Be patient. Give it time. Give it a long time. I mean, a lot of, some of you know that. Just give it a long time. And focus primarily on the relationship, not on the shadow stuff. 
So work on the shadow side, but the bent you really want to pour into is that is the way God's wired them. You want them to live into that, and you want to keep the relationship strong. All right, so four words I want to give you on parenting in relation to this proverb. Number one is discover. You know, do you really know your child? Get to know them. Determine those bents. No amount of parenting will be successful if you don't know that. So get to know them deeply. Make a study of them. Discover their way, like the way of the ant and the way of the eagle. Watch them. Get to discover their way. How do you do that? I think we do it through prayer, a lot of prayer. James 1.5 says that if any of us lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given. So we pray a lot for wisdom. I think we observe, we watch. Proverbs 20.11 says even a child is known by their actions, by whether their conduct is pure and right, and probably there's a reason this proverb follows. Ears that hear and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. In other words, as a parent, God's given you ears, ears, <laughs> ears, and eyes. Hey, <laughs> He's given us eyes and He's given us ears to observe and to watch their actions and their behavior, and as you do that, that's how they're known, is by the way they act. So, we do a lot of observing, a lot of watching, um, becoming a student of them. Watch the way they, they do things. Watch how they are in various situations, the way they deal with various people, with siblings, with friends, with authority. We talk and we listen. We spend a lot of time with them. Starbucks or whatever, having coffee even with your kids, taking your daughters on a date, doing some with your son, just a lot of time talking to them, trying to pull out who they are, listening to the things they say. Those four questions, that's the whole point of these four questions, is for me to be able to listen deeply to what's on their heart. So it's a lot of talking and listening. It's asking others, teachers, other friends, other adults that work with them, things they observe in your children. And I think above all, it requires concentration and time. You focus on that, you want to know them well, you concentrate, and it just takes time. You, you can't you can't give up that time spent with them. And just a real quick side note, as you gather and discover things about them, I really challenge you to gradually and appropriately pass this information on to them, the things that you observe, so they can understand themselves. Um, you know how you just discover a lot more about yourself as you age? I think in your 40s and 50s, you really start to learn a lot about yourself, finally. Um, and a lot of times our, with our parents, they never told us anything about ourselves, and we didn't discover a lot about ourselves till we were 40 or 50. Do your children the service of helping them understand who they are and how they're wired early on appropriately so they don't have to figure it out all by themselves? I think that's a service we can do them. Second thing is delight. Delight in who they are. Value them. Value their bent. Value their personality. Value their abilities. Value their interests. Don't try to make them who you are, what you do, what you're interested in, what your personality is like. Really come to delight in them. Again, don't let the shadow over, those shadow things overshadow the strength side of who they are. It's so easy for that to do. The thing we never want our children to do is to feel like we're disappointed in them. Because, I mean, that, that is the cause of so much father pain in the world. How many men are still living for their father's approval and are driven not even knowing it, what they're seeking is their father's approval. Even after their father's long gone, are still living for that. So delight in your children. Let them know that you know who they are and you value who they are. Develop them with this understanding. Train them accordingly. Encourage and challenge each child individually according to their unique God-given bent their temperament, their personality, their skills, their abilities, their passions, their interests. Encourage those traits in them. Give them opportunities and experiences to grow and develop into those areas. You know, and of course, part of that developing is that shadow side, right? Um, it's working on the shadow side, not just theirs, but yours. Because remember, they're learning by watching you. Let them see you working on your shadow side. And then do all you can consistently to discipline them individually so that they will, um, that they can grow out of some of these things, but we want them to have these things. I was just thinking, can I give you an example of this that really is personal for me? 
is the whole thing of introversion in the temperament. I'm an introvert. A lot of people are shocked when they hear that, but that, that's my temperament. And our culture does not value introverts. We value extroverts. We value people who are out front and, you know, talking all the time. Or when we think of a leader, we think of a great extrovert as a leader. Um, statistics show even in America that the majority of people in here are introverts, not extroverts. And I think our culture doesn't value introversion. And I think we as parents, if we have children that are introverts, we need to tell them that that is a gift. Because with introversion usually comes a lot of great analytical skills. I could just list a whole lot of things that comes with that. There is a great gift to that. And so we, we delight in that. We don't try to like hammer them and try to form them and make them into an extrovert. That's just something. And let them know. I feel like with an introvert, because this is what happened to me, when I f started living into, when I, after I became a follower of Jesus and I began to want to live to make an impact, that introverts, when they catch a passion to make an impact, that's when they start realizing that, they're, that the gifts that come with introversion can have huge impact and they'll start living into it. So let them know that's a great gift and that we all can make an impact and that they have gifts that make an impact that we all need. So just throwing that out because I've had that experience of not growing up valuing that and kind of hating that about myself for a long time, that introversion, but there's a lot of gift that comes with that. And then finally, disciple. I think most importantly, do everything in your power to lead your child into a personal, intimate, saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Right? Isn't that a no-brainer? That they become a disciple, a follower, an apprentice of Him. Because the only cure for that sin nature, that, only born, in, that inborn sin, the only cure that makes us spiritually dead, the only cure for that is what Jesus caused, called being born again through the Holy Spirit. Receiving Jesus personally, His death for my sin, that when I do that, the Holy Spirit comes in me, gives me a new nature, starts to transform me, sets me free from the power of that sin nature. And I think all of us, we want that, is we want the Holy Spirit to come in. We want Jesus to save our children from that sin nature that's under that. That should be our highest priority. So, discover, delight in them, work to develop those things, and we want, to come, we want them to come to have a walking, living relationship with Jesus. And this all, actually, this week was making me think a lot about the thing I did on Mother's Day, or started on Mother's Day, or actually it was after Mother's Day, but Deuteronomy 6.5, remember parenting for maximum impact requires that my parenting be personal, that I'm living it. You know, I'm trying to live into how God designed me. I'm trying to seek His lessening of the power of my shadow side in my life that they see that I'm trying to grow. And then that whole informal part of parenting, if you remember, that's what this is. This is hanging out with your children, giving them time, being with them, and in the process of that, learning the bent and the tendencies, the way that God has designed them, so that then I can be intentional in parenting them and, and encouraging into that way and into that bent. Does that make sense? Totally fits this whole, this whole thing. All right, let me end with this. Um, I know the parenting task can feel overwhelming. And you hear something like this and you're like, oh my gosh, sounds great, but you can leave with guilt or this, this just weight of there is no way. I mean, it is this is so hard, right? I mean, I think we've all felt that way. And just with, with some of my guys, we've been reading a book that's been talking a lot about when we do math without God and math with God, it's totally different. And I just want to remind you that math with God is totally different. Because me, by myself, the parenting task is greater than me. But me plus God always creates a majority. Me plus God always creates a majority. And with Him and His help that... He can empower us and do greater things than we can do on our own. So please don't leave here feeling the weight of this. I want you to leave here feeling like, wow, this is awesome. I really want to, to lean into and learn the bent of my child and what they're like. I want, to, I want to discover that. I want to delight in that. And I want to do whatever I can to help them develop that. And I want them to know Jesus so they can live into the person they were created to be. And again, this applies not just to parents. This is anybody here. This is grandparents. You know, help your children to see the bents of their children. Um, you can do these four things with your grandchildren. Those of you who are friends, like, you know, I know the Gimples grew up, the Waters, there are people in here, the Wrights, 
who grew up around our kids a lot, you know, you have influence on other people around you, on other children. Help, help, let's help each other with this task. And this really fits to anybody again, anybody you're trying to influence. This is common in business leadership, in any leadership. Knowing the individual bent of your employees or the people under you, and you lead them all differently. I mean, this principle applies to everything. So knowing anybody you're trying to influence, what their bents are, what their strengths are, what their shadows are, discovering that, delighting in who they are, helping them develop, it applies to everything in life. So I want to conclude with uh, my own translation of Proverbs 22.6 after studying this. Here's how I would say it. Intimately knowing your child's unique design, wisely draw that out of them and direct them into it. And they will still be walking into that unique God-given design even when they're old. Isn't that an awesome proverb? Isn't that awesome? Full of hope? That's great. I love that proverb. So can you stand with me? And as we leave today and go to celebrate with our dads or whatever we're doing, don't forget there's donuts out there. We ordered extra chocolate this year because the guys ate all the chocolate last year and we're scrounging for more. So we did extra chocolate just for you because we know you're bent, 12th Avenue. We've studied, we've done our research, we delight in you, and so we have gotten extra chocolate because we know that the tendency of the men of 12th Avenue. So um, I hope this was helpful for you. This so, was so profound in my own parenting. So learn them. Learn who they are. Love who they are. Help them develop into the person God created them to be. And let's launch them as people who will make a kingdom impact everywhere in the world, wherever they go, with their personalities, their gifts, their passions, that they'll do that well, okay? And again, none of us is perfect, but with the God's help, we just do the best that we can, all right? So, Father, may we become a community of people that the way we parent, the way we influence anybody is by seeking and discerning who you've designed them to be, what their bent is, what their, their unique, how they're uniquely crafted by you, how they've been woven together, and that we will learn to be involved in each other's lives in ways that understanding that we help all, each other, our children, our grandchildren, we help everybody around us to develop into the kind of people who will make kingdom impact for you. And so we go today to be those kinds of people in the world. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, you are sent. Not just to donuts. You're sent beyond donuts. We're sent into the world this week.